My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. My wife and I are privileged to live uh, in a beautiful spot. We live just south of town here, about 15 minutes away, but it's two little acres, kind of a hobby farm, surrounded by over 100 acres. And I love this part of the year uh, because somebody else farms the land. It's not ours. Uh, But we've got wheat growing as we look out of our kitchen window to the north. It's just beautiful, just green as far as the eye can see. And then we look out the back window. We've got uh, just this beautiful... Beautiful clover growing. It's everywhere is green. I love this part of Oregon and this season, this time, because everything is just so much about potential. And we have a lot of trees and gardens and vines and things like that. And if you have any raised garden beds or you do any kind of work that way, you know it's a great season. Uh, my wife does, well, I, I build things and she does the work. I have a black thumb, so if I touch anything, it dies. So I'm not allowed to be out there working, tending the garden. That's okay. I'd rather just eat the stuff anyway. Uh, but it's great. She'll be out there working on the trees. We've got about a dozen fruit trees. And, and I, I didn't know how much I loved Asian pears until we moved there and we had a couple Asian pear trees. So if you like Asian pears, get a hold of my wife. We've got cherries. We've got all kinds of apples, great varieties there. Pears. We've got uh, plums. Uh, we just put up a peach tree. So open in the next couple of years, we're going to have peaches. Not too sure about that. Don't know if it's a good climate for it. I never knew that kiwis would actually grow in this climate, but it's perfect for that. We got kiwis. Those are weird, by the way, you know, fuzzy and everything like that. Uh, they're they're kind of strange because you have to pull them in, harvest them just before that first frost. And then you stick them in the garage for two months or more so they can ripen. And then you have about 100 million kiwis that are ripe all the same day. And we're like that zucchini family, although we don't do zucchini. We're like the kiwi family. So you get sick of it after a while. But whether that's strawberries or we planted four varieties of table grapes a couple of years ago. And with the right pruning, the right work, man, it's great to see all these grapes grow up. My wife called me and said, Hey, this nursery is closing out. They got eight blueberry bushes that are already producing. Can we have my go? Let's just add them to the mix. Now we get blueberries every year. It's, it's really fun. Well, first of all, it is fun to eat that stuff, but it's fun to be a part of that because we get to see the natural, uh, you know, product of what happens when we work the soil, we get our hands dirty. We teach our kids this, uh, grow our own potatoes and carrots and things. It's so exciting. There are days when we go to dinner and the whole table, other than you know pizza or soup or something, has actually been produced by our farm. We love it. Uh, we've got chickens. We get eggs. Now, I've talked to my wife about like eating the chickens. She doesn't like... She separates her food and her animals. So she like draws a line there. So we're not allowed to do that. Uh, 
Uh, but he said, let's raise some pigs or something like that. She's not interested. Okay. Um, but I love this season of the year because it reminds me of how God uses the natural byproduct of the earth, the soil, to grow the next season of fruit. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, every once in a while, we'll kind of discern that something's not working. Uh, we've had a few trees over the years that haven't produced much. And we've had to make the tough decision to cut them out, to put something else there. Uh, every year we get to prune things, uh, whether that's some of the trees or some of the vines. And you cut and scale back so you can see what's going to happen in the produce of the next year. But that is a reminder of how God works in our hearts and in our lives, is that we're all growing. We're all a part of something from the inside out. When you take a look at fruit, whether that's something in a a garden bed or something from a tree or some vegetables, you know, it's really slow. You don't see it. If you sit there every day and look at it, it doesn't look like it's growing right. Maybe it's not fruit. Maybe it's flowers and roses or trees or whatever. You know that there is a season for everything. And as it comes up, it's inevitable that it's going to come up. If the ingredients are right, if there's enough rain, if there's enough sun, if the soil is good, then you know that things will happen. Fruit, vegetables, they just grow, right? And if you can tend them and care for them in the right proper way, then you can get a lot out of that. Now, when I think about this, I'm always reflecting back on the stories in the Bible that talk about vines, that talk about the fruit of this. All through the Old Testament are these stories about God's people being fruitful vines, about how the fruit is blessing other people, that God tends and cares for us. And he wants to see fruit. Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 says it this way. He says a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Now, again, he's not really talking about trees here. He's talking about the human heart. We'll see in a moment. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown in the fire. And I can relate to all that because we've seen some really good fruit some healthy trees. We've seen some unhealthy trees, some damaged, diseased trees. We've had to cut out. We've had to throw on our burn pile, which I'm not allowed to light. If you've been at sunrise for a number of years, you know that I have PTSD on that one. Um, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit. So you can identify people by their actions. What Jesus is saying is you can judge a person by their life. Now, some have said, well, Jesus said, don't ever judge. That's not actually what he said at the beginning of chapter seven. He says, all I can ever do is quote in King James, because that's how I memorized it. Judge not lest ye be judged. Now, what he's saying is don't judge. He's not saying that he's saying, don't judge unfairly or harshly, because the same way you judge people is going to come back to you. And what Jesus is saying here in this same chapter is you can judge a person's heart by their actions. You can judge by their conduct and their character. You can see what's going on in the life of a person by the way they live. Now, not every day. You you don't want to judge someone for one day because it might have been a good day or a bad day. But the inevitable journey of life will bear out fruit. And what you will see from a person's life when the long and short of it is all said and done is that that's what's really on the inside of a person. 
Now, we bring this up because last week we talked about this in the realm of our own walk with God. The Apostle Paul has been talking in Galatians about not living by religious rules, not being legalistic, but trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And then he begins to turn the corner to wrap up his letter. We call it a book. And he begins to talk about what it looks like when we walk according to the way of God and what it looks like when we walk according to the way of our own natural desires. And so what we saw last week, and I'm just going to remind you a little bit of it, is this idea of walking according to the flesh. He says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now, a little bit of theological background. If you're just with us for the first time, maybe church isn't a normal journey for you. The Bible says that when we come to this point where we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone to save us, not Jesus plus church, Jesus plus good behavior, good living, brownie points for God, but Jesus alone alone that what he did on the cross pays our, for our sin. We now have this brand new life with God. Not only are our sins forgiven, the slates wiped clean, but God actually puts his Holy Spirit in our lives. That we now are the temple of God, the Apostle Paul says in another letter. He says that God dwells inside of us. We're not God. No, no. But God lives inside of us. And God's job, his role, is to purify us. In fact, it says his Holy Spirit has a role to conform us to be like Christ. That God's Holy Spirit inside each of the believers... The sons and daughters of God now, we now are on a journey of looking more and more like Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And so we can walk according to that. And this is what he says. So let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. But unfortunately, we still have our bodies, right? We still have this body of flesh. The way the old translations call it, they call it a sin nature, this this flesh. And it's this physical body, this container that we're in. But there's this spiritual battle that we face. Uh, you can see this when Paul writes the, the Romans. He says in chapter 6, 7, and 8 that there's this reality that we're dead to sin. When Christ has come, he's freed us from the penalty of sin. We no longer have to worry about paying for our sins. Jesus did on the cross. We're also free from the power of sin in our lives if we walk according to God's spirit. But you and I know we don't always do that, right? We will often respond to the natural desires of our flesh. We will live according to, at times, what our desires of our flesh are. That this sinful nature that we have will try to control us. And Paul says, don't, don't give control over to that. Give control to the spirit who lives inside of you. Now, one day, the Bible says we will all die. We'll go be with Jesus. Jesus will come back. Then we will be given brand new bodies, glorified bodies. You know, And we'll, we'll have bodies without any sin and that'll be a great day right our salvation will be final complete and we will not have to worry about that anymore sin will be done away with but for now we still have part of the curse of sin on this earth is still inside of us and so we struggle and so what paul is saying here and we saw last week is you could let the holy spirit 
guide your life. You can, what we're going to see, walk according to the spirit, keep in step with the spirit, respond to what the spirit of God is teaching you and working in your life. And then you'll become more spiritual, bear spiritual fruit. Or as we saw last week, you can walk according to the flesh. You can do what your flesh desires, what your old nature desires. And you can do that in such a way that then that is going to run your life and ruin your life. And we can't do that as followers of Christ. We have to die to that old self. In fact, that's what Paul says he says the sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants and the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires these two forces are constantly fighting each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions but when you are directed by the spirit you're not under obligation to the law of Moses this is the last part of what we're talking about here the idea of the rules the obligation of following all the rules so you can be considered righteous in God's eyes or other people's eyes. We don't have to do that anymore. We have God living inside of us, directing us and guiding us. But we've got to listen. We've got to respond to that. And you know this fight. You know this struggle. I don't have to tell you, you know, some story about it. You live the story. That there are days, there are moments when your flesh just cries out and it just feels like this gravity that pulls you toward your own sin and flesh, right? And then there's this Holy Spirit inside of you pulling you, the gravity towards what is right. And you have the power to say yes to the Holy Spirit and to say no to sin. I do as well. But you and I know we don't always do that. And that was last week's message. Last week's message is what does it mean? What does it look like? What is the fruit born out of our lives? We live according to our flesh. He was writing to believers and he described all of the immorality that we can be involved in. All the way that we can let sin permeate our lives. And we're not to be walking according to the flesh. Instead, we're to be walking according to God's spirit. And that's where we find ourselves today in this passage of scripture. And that's why when we get to this section in verse 22 on, we find such beauty in these really simple, wonderful words. But before we get there, we all know what it's like to wrestle with the flesh. Last week, uh, a friend sent me uh, a little story. He sent it to me in a text and I asked permission and he said, yes, and I want to share it with you. He says, anyone who has taken a trip to the dump will understand this picture. Anybody ever taken a trip to the dump? Anybody? Yeah, we're Americans. We got junk. Okay. We have way too much stuff. And so, you know, it piles up by the side of the house. You get a trailer, whatever. We have a little utility trailer, you know, for our farm and, and uh, we've got burn piles, but we've got stuff we got to take to the dump. He says, anybody that's taken a trip to the dump will understand this picture. Our walk through this world is like taking a trip to the dump. While we're here on the earth, we're bound to our flesh and our sin nature trails us like a trailer full of unwanted, messy, smelly garbage. We can choose to cover the load and hide it. Uh, we, we produce a lot of garbage as Americans. We really do. It's amazing. Uh, the, the stuff we, we crank out. And in the Portland area, we try to do some recycling and things like that. But even if you look at it, we don't even know where to send our recycle anymore. China is saying, we're done with your recycle. Okay. And a lot of things. We, we don't know what. We, we have a dump here. And if you've ever taken your stuff, you dump it there. They burn it. And, it, and on those certain days when the wind blows, you're like, ooh, I smell the dump, right? Okay. Uh, I've been following this fascinating story of New Yorkers. New Yorkers 
create a lot of trash on so many levels. Okay. But, um, their own garbage and refuse, they don't have a place for it. So Jersey's full. So they put it onto trains and, uh, they are shipping it down to the South now. And this one town in particular is pretty fascinating. They're fed up with New York's garbage because just outside of town on the rail yards are freight cars filled with smelly, slimy, refuse from New York. The garbage that won't fit on a barge anymore, that won't go into a landfill. We just got to get rid of it. They've shipped it down to the South and the people in these cities are just upset because you can just imagine what it'd be like half a mile away to have trains filled with garbage that in the heat of the summer, as the sun bears down on that, as the, sm- the growth, the things that just happen begin to take over, right? It's like its own ecosystem beginning to form life, right? You have this smell and they don't want anything to do with it because it's ruining life in the town. My friend says that's what our sin is like. When we put it on a trailer, we choose to cover the load and carry it around. Or we can choose to confess it, he says, take it to the dump and get rid of it. If we choose to carry it around, it'll eventually cause our life to reek of sin. It will also blow out, trail behind us, and hit other people. The only relief is to take our sin to Jesus, the one who died for it, to confess it to him and unload the sin that so easily slows us down. That's what we talked about last week. This week now, though, is the question of what if we walk according to God's spirit? And this is the fruit that is born out of us in Galatians chapter 5. Look what Paul says. In contrast to this works of the flesh or this fruit of the flesh that is bearing out when we walk according to the flesh, we can walk according to the spirit. And when we walk according to the spirit, this is the good fruit that comes out of our lives. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, you've been to church, you've heard this list before. You know this list. There's probably songs about this list, okay? We know there is a list. Now, let's think about these words, though. One of the really cool things you can do is to get some Bible study tools and to figure out what the word in the original understanding of the culture and context meant because we can use a word today and it may not be the same word they were thinking back then. So the word love, what is the word love? Well, we know the Bible says all you need is love, right? No, that was the Beatles. Okay. We know in our culture, the word love means whatever we want to throw at it, right? Well, if you love me, you will. Well, that's a selfish kind of love. We know that love is not really truly understood the way the Bible talks about it. Uh, In the culture, there were words for a family kind of love. There was a friendship kind of love. There was a sexual kind of love, but this is a self-sacrificing kind of love. This is the kind of love the Bible says that God showed toward you and me when we were still dead in our sins. We were still separated from God that God so loved. Here's the word us, you and me. And that word is a a giving love. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that doesn't change. It's a love that is vulnerable. It's a love that seeks to serve other people. It's a love of putting other people first. It's a decision that you don't go back on. That's the kind of love. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus. The fruit of the spirit. The first part of this is love that when you walk according to the spirit, your focus will not be on yourself, but on other people. And then Paul says, joy, 
Joy is an inner attitude that exists in spite of difficult outer circumstances. When I was a brand new follower of Christ as a high school student, someone explained it this way, and I love it. This is how they said it. They said, happiness is the surface water of a river or of a lake bed or some, some kind of ocean. The water can be back and forth tossed. It can be waved. There can be temperatures. There can be currents. That's happiness. And that's life. I mean, you know, you get a raise, you're happy. You don't get a raise, you're sad. You get an A, you're happy. You get an F, you're not happy. You know, if things go well, things don't go well. That's, that's happiness. That's circumstantial. But joy is the deep water that flows. The deep river that flows, the deep current that flows, it stays constant. That is true joy. And in the life of a follower of Christ, we are to have joy. In fact, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when we are aware that God is in charge, that God is sovereign, that God is true, and that God has a plan he's working out, the day-to-day circumstances won't phase us as much because we will have confidence, rock-solid confidence in God, and there will be the ability to have true joy. It may not mean that we're smiling, But there is a deep-seated joy that comes over us, which then connects to the next word, which is peace. Now, all three of these, and if you've ever noticed the nine fruit of the Spirit, they're broken up into three sets of three. Love, joy, and peace are all inward aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Because peace is this inner trust in the wisdom and the control of God in your life. Even in difficult circumstances, this peace shows up when you acknowledge that God is in control. One of the greatest pictures for me of peace is Jesus asleep. I like that. Jesus has taken a nap. By the way, that may be all the Bible you need today. Jesus took a nap. But he took a nap in a boat. He's exhausted of ministry. And he's asleep. And the disciples are there. And the storm begins to rage all around them. And the wind and the waves and the fear. And they're just panicked. And they're freaked out. And they wake up Jesus. Jesus, don't you care? Of course he cares. And in a moment, with words, everything is calm. I love about that. What I love about that is that's the picture of what God does in our lives. He brings peace in the midst of a storm. One of the things you'll discover when you follow Jesus through the Gospels, the words of Jesus, the stories of Jesus. Jesus went around with a non-anxious presence. Think about that. He went into places where people were demon-possessed. That's a lot of anxiety, right? Especially in the demon-possessed person. Jesus walks in with a non-anxious presence and he casts the demon out. Jesus walks into places where people are sick, people have deformities, people are dead. And he walks in and he's not panicked. He's not freaking out. And he walks in the room and he brings peace. He brings healing. When you and I walk, where we walk, how we walk, do we bring a non-anxious presence with us? Or are we always freaked out? I know some of you are, okay, especially at the 11 o'clock service, because you were freaked out about this morning. You couldn't even get here in time, right? You know, some of you are like left and right, chicken with your head cut off kind of person. You are up and down emotionally. A non-anxious presence is what we're talking about here, that you have a deep-seated peace, that it takes a lot to ruffle your feathers, because you have this calmness that comes by your inner walk with the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, Peace, inward, flowing outward. Then you have patience and kindness and goodness. And those flow outward to other people because of love, joy, and peace inwardly. Patience is putting up with people who you don't want to put up with, right? We all have those. Don't point. It's your spouse. I know it. Um, I can't point. My spouse is at the coast. Um, But she could point to me. People that continuously irritate us. You have those people in your life. 
Uh, Martin Luther in his commentary on Galatians said it this way. And I like the word he uses. It's the old English word, long suffering. That's a good word. Long suffering. Gee, I wonder what that means. Yeah, you know what that means, right? So patience, long suffering. Long suffering is that quality which enables a person to bear adversity, injury, reproach, and makes them patient to wait for the improvement of those who have done him wrong. Wow, patience, long suffering. God brings people in your life that are different than you, that are really cause for growth in your life. And, and God has them there so that you can show patience toward them. So that you could exhibit God's fruit of the spirit and you wait and you're not freaked out by what's going on in their lives, by how they're maybe even attacking you. You have this wonderful patience, kindness. It's the freedom to deal with life in a relaxed manner, not pushing, not shoving. It's how we treat people. Takes the initiative to respond to other people's needs before we respond to others. It's not being in such a rush that you can't stop and say, yeah, you go on ahead. Just go ahead. That's fine. You, you take first. You, you can get in front of me at the, at the shopping line. You know, I went to Safeway last night. And if you ever want to develop some patience or kindness or gentleness, go there because the lines are always wrong. Uh, long. Sorry. Slip of the tongue there. And I'm like, my wife sends me there. And I'm like, ah, I went myself on the way home. I need to get some bananas. And it's like 15 minutes in line. You know, you feel like it's like, but it's like, maybe God wants to do something. And maybe you should have a conversation with someone. Maybe you could pray for someone. Maybe there's an encounter with someone. When I can be in this mode, all of a sudden there's a joy in this journey of waiting in line somewhere. Right? Because we're not thinking about ourselves anymore. We're thinking about others. Goodness. It's trying to reach out to others constantly to show good to them. Even if in your own eyes they don't deserve it. Goodness does not react to evil. But even when someone has hurt us or offends us, it responds with a positive action. So love and joy and peace, those are the inward aspects of the fruit. Patience and kindness and goodness, now that flows out to other people. But then there's a forward component of the fruit. And this is now how we move and work in this world with faithfulness. Faithfulness is just that. It's exactly what it says. Being reliable, being trustworthy, not giving up when you want to give up. It's continuing on with what you promise. Whether that's in a marriage, whether that's in a partnership, whether that's in a class, whether that's in a friendship it's just simply saying i made a commitment and my word is my bond and i want to follow through with that gentleness just being considerate of other people living in such a way that you're putting other people first even maybe if you're frustrated maybe if anger is a natural response it's a healthy self-forgetfulness and finally self-control let's go on no um that, that's all of us, right? We're Americans. Self-control. Who needs that? I'll just buy more. Put on a credit card, right? The ability to always choose the important thing over the urgent desire, right? We can think about this in finances. We can think about this in our own fleshly desires. I think about this in relationship to food, you know? I used to think about it in relationship to spending. I know God did a great work in my life there. He's doing a great work in the other areas, but self-control is one of the hardest ones. It's really tough because we are trained to get what we want. Now, our whole culture is about grabbing it now, not waiting, whether that's sexuality, whether that's money, whether that's putting ourselves in such deep debt that we're going to suffer for years to come and never be able to pay it off, never be able to work it out because we didn't have 
self-control. It's about saying no now so we can say yes later. See, imagine a culture, my friends. Imagine a world where these were abounding in people. Imagine what our, our nation would be like if as Americans... We were abounding in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We wouldn't be able to, you know, necessarily affect everything in the world, but we would be a changed people. This should be the fruit that abounds in the life of a follower of Christ. When we walk according to the spirit, when we stay in step with the spirit, this is the natural, inevitable, fruitful byproduct of our lives. And so if it's not then we have to take a look deeper inside and realize we're not walking according to the spirit because this is how fruit works. It just happens as you walk according to the spirit of God. Now, if if you're a grammarian, a teacher, you're concerned about Paul's, um, you know, little consistency or rather inconsistency because he calls it fruit, which is singular. And then he lists nine. And a a lot of people will call them the fruits of the spirit and they'll have books on the fruits of the spirit. It's not the fruits of the spirit. It's the fruit. And, and this is the best way I've ever heard to explain it. They are so interconnected and interrelated. They're so integral that it's like an orange That if you peel the layer of the skin off the orange, you see the wedges, the slices of the orange. And you would go, that's an orange. Well, no, it's part of an orange. It's part of the fruit of the orange, but the orange is holistic. All these need to come together in a healthy way. Which then is fascinating because some of us are better at some of these than others. Some of us struggle with some more than others. Think about this in your own life. Um, Some of you are, are naturally loving. And you go, oh, I got that one. Check. No, you're cheating. That's not the fruit of the spirit. That's just your disposition, right? Some of you are patient people. I don't know. You, that makes me really impatient when you're just naturally patient, right? It's like you just like you're not phased. Some of you, you don't have a care and concern in the world. Your natural disposition does not count as fruit of the spirit. But when you look at it holistically, some of them you're easier at. Some of them you're harder at. Some of them are more difficult. When I drive a little John Deere mower and I'm cruising along in our field and our orchard and I look and I see an Asian pear and it looks ripe and I grab it and I turn it around and there's this black hole where some worms burrowed in it all the way to the core. Do I want to eat that? No, because there's something that maybe is not seen at first glance, but that ends up destroying everything from the inside out. Love, joy, peace. Hey, in fact, Pastor Kevin added a little uh, survey, kind of a spiritual growth inventory, spiritual fruit inventory at the back part of our sermon notes page. You could get it on the way out. This would be my encouragement for you this week. Just get alone, get quiet, just you and God and say, God, search my heart. Honestly, God, show me and walk through these. All the definitions I've read are right here. And like a one to five and you could, this is just a self-assessment, but then get with someone else, you know, get with someone else and say, Hey, I want you to be honest with me. Is this how you see my life? You could do this with another person. You could do it in your small group, but the bottom line is you should do it this week because if the Holy spirit controls your life, this is the fruit that's going to come out of your life. 
Now, he goes on to say this in verse 22. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. In other words, we, we can't just say, well, I'm walking in the flesh, so it's, I, you know, I have no other choice. No, no, no. We need to die to that. Christ died for those things. He says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Now, one of the things that uh, modern translations do, and I, I get it, I understand it, is they don't translate a word the way it used to be translated because the word has changed meanings over time. Uh, what Paul is saying here is if we live according to the lusts of our flesh. Now, when I use the word lust, you only have one sphere, one thought, one direction, right? Sexuality. That's the only way we use the word lust. But that's not how it was in ancient days. The word lust just meant an extended, outer proportion over desire. It's a good word to think about that, the word lust. It's used in positive terms. That, that God's spirit lusts after us, but it's also used in negative terms that we lust after something, meaning we have a desire, but it's cranked up in such a way that it becomes an outer proportion or over desire. And we should be cautious of that in our lives because we can't lo- let the over desires cranked up lust of our life control us or as evidence we're not walking in the spirit. I've got a example for me. Some of you know, for me in, in this season of my life, uh, you know, one of the struggles is food and, 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 uh, you know, it may not, if that's not your struggle, you go, what, whatever. Okay. But it is for me. And some of you know what I'm talking about. We have this inordinate, uh, this desire for food as if it's going to satisfy us. Okay. And so that, that's, that's my struggle. So Kevin, pastor Kevin and I were at the coast. We were at, um, uh, Cannon beach at a conference all week on disciple making and we were staying in seaside. And so we're there in seaside and in the evening after class, just chilling out, doing some writing and I go for a walk and it's seaside, you know, and, and it's, it's not quite all open yet. I walk by ice cream galore. I love ice cream. Who doesn't like ice cream? Right. And so I walk by all these ice cream shops and I'm like, the more I walk by ice cream shops, the more my over desire for ice cream cranks up. Right. Anybody? Can I get a witness? You like ice cream? Okay. All right. So I'm at seaside and, and thank God half of the shops are closed. And I, I mean that literally, I'm thankful that God's shut the shops. They're not open because I go, Hey, where's the best ice cream? Do go down there. And so I walk down there. It's closed. It's like, why are you closed? It's eight 30 at night. This is when people eat ice cream, you know, and I walk around and they're closed and they're closed. Then I find some that are open. You know what? They only take cash. Who does that? I'm a married man. I don't have money. Okay. <laughs> And, and, you know, and so I'm like walking around, I'm, you know, discouraged, but here it is, you know, this journey, the more I walk around, the more I look at it, look in the window, the more my desire gets cranked up to become an over desire. So I walk back to the hotel and I'm like, okay. And then I, a thought hits me. Hey, I have Yelp on my phone. <laughs> Hit Yelp, go ice cream. Oh, there's a Dairy Queen, a block and a half down. I didn't see. And I walk down and I get a small, Okay peanut butter, chocolate, cookie dough, something. And I sit there and I eat it. And I walk back home with defeat and shame because I didn't need it. it, it my, I, my stomach lied to me. I, I wasn't hungry. And this head desire over cranked up, took over my life. And I walked back and go, I didn't need that God, but I was longing for that so much. Because in that moment, my friends, I wasn't walking according to the spirit. I was walking according to ice cream. Okay. I was walking according to my stomach or my head. 
that I, that's an idol, right? And so in your life, do you walk according to those things? Because I do at times, I struggle with that. It's this tension of life. Or do you walk according to the spirit? But when you walk according to the spirit, these aspects of fruit will come out. Jesus shares this with his disciples. And I want to close with this. It's a beautiful picture of what true fruit looks like. He says in John 15 with his disciples in the upper room, the night he's betrayed, the day before he goes to the cross to die for our sins, he tells these friends, he says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. Again, agricultural illustration to get it. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Now this is a whole sermon, a whole book on its own. But suffice it to say in all of the texts that Jesus is talking about, he says this. You can only be fruitful if you remain in me. Abide in me is the old English word. If you, if you stay close to me, just like the fruit of the spirit, Paul says, when you stay close to the spirit, walk according to the spirit in his steps, the natural byproduct is fruit. And Jesus says, you need to think about your life because if just for example, you have no fruit, then that indicates you're not connected. And, and you could be a good Christian as far as like the world sees it because you're a churchgoer and you obey the rules and you do those things. But the inner person is the one you should be thinking about right now, not the outer way you live your life. If you have no fruit, you're not connected to the vine. And the answers get connected, right? You can't abide with Jesus. You can't walk in step with the spirit if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if God's spirit's not living inside of you. So that one of the reasons we exist as a church is to tell you that. Not to offend you in a negative way, but to offend you in a positive way. So you would know that there's this God that loves you and you could be connected with him. If you've got no fruit in your life, man, welcome. We're glad you're here. Get connected to Jesus because what's going to happen is your life will start to bear some fruit. And the fruit will come out of your life and it'll be great. Now, this is plastic, disappointingly so, um, but it'll look nice. But you know what Jesus said the father will do if you're bearing some fruit? He will prune you. And that is a painful word. It is a painful experience for the father to come along and cut some what you think are good things out of your life. So that the focus The energy is directed in such a way to ultimately then bring honor and glory to the father by bearing much fruit. God wants this kind of fruit for each of us. He wants our lives to abound in the fruit of the spirit. That's what brings him great pleasure. And when you remain, abide with him or walk according to the spirit, you then bear this good fruit. And you do it to his glory and his honor. One day we get to then bring it to him. We get to take it to him. We get to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We get to give our lives as an offering to him. But that means he wants a lot out of us because he's invested a lot in us. And if we are always spending our lives pursuing the flesh, walking according to the flesh, we're going to live a defeated Christian life. We don't have to read Romans 6, 7 and 8. It will tell you. 
how to live a life where you can say no to ungodliness and say yes to godliness and live according to the Spirit, walk according to the Spirit, be filled up with the Spirit in such a way that God's Spirit flows out of us. What our world needs is not more Christians, not more churches. God forbid that we would just have religiosity in America. That'll fail as it has. What America needs, what our city needs, what our county needs, our believers who are staying connected to God's spirit, living in such a way that their lives from the inside out, out to others, forward to others, are lived in such a way that that fruit, that is the test. That is the true test of your relationship with God. As Jesus said, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Because a bad tree, a bad heart, it's not going to bear the good fruit. But the good fruit's going to come out if you are connected to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your words. And may they be encouraging and challenging and critiquing of our lives. May your spirit come in. And as your spirit does, slice and divide. May your word reveal the truth of our lives, God. Not so we can be better churchgoers but so we can be better followers of Christ, more resembling Jesus who exhibited all of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. In ever-increasing ways, God, may we be people that look more and more like Jesus as we're conformed to his image, that we bear fruit in such a way that the world looks and sees that. That is a witness. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.